We're spending Sunday mornings in October. We have today and next week left. We are spending these Sundays listening to the Apostle Peter. Yay for Peter. Yeah, so we got to listen to him. Uh, we would do well to lean into his words to the church. The theme of our study in this text is, li- you ready for this? Here's my team. How do you like my jersey? Huh? This is my team. This is my team, Jack, right here. You know why? Because when you win, I win. That's right. That's my team. Jack, look at him. Yeah. No, I'm not going to, you can't, you can't say, let me see your buns in front of these people. Uh, pay no attention to. <laughs> what, what can I do? Let's go to our Bible, shall we? The theme of our study is live like you're saved. Would you say live like you're saved? saved. Oh, that's fantastic. What we've covered so far today is Peter has told us that you are really saved. And he's told us to live holy and live honorably because of it. This morning, uh, oh man, thank you team. We are, we're trying to, good job. This morning, we're going to talk, we're going to, Peter's going to tell us you're saved, live like it, live to bless. We're going to read uh, Verse, uh, chapters, chapter 3, verse 8, all the way through chapter 4, verse 11 today. It's not a long passage, but there's a lot of good stuff in there, and I have to be very honest with you. A part of my practice in study is to go to my notes, and after I'm done, it's to revise them in order to reduce them. I always want to try to make them smaller. Every time I, I went to reduce them this week, they grew by a half a page. And uh, as I'm pacing out there in the street praying for the church, I keep hearing more things. The, 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 good th- the, the thing about the word is the more you lean into it, the more it will continue to speak to you. Amen. Amen. So don't be afraid to spend time with the book. It'll keep talking to you. This thing's alive. All right. Here we go. Let's pick it right up at verse 8 already. Verse 8. Everybody say, live to bless. Live to, bless. to sum up. Peter says, to sum up, or your Bibles might say finally, it's, it's a Greek expression. He's, 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 uh, he's, this is why we've chosen this part in the text to pause. He's, he's, he's creating, he starts here in, in verse 8 and says finally, and then we're going to get to a part where he says amen. So there's, there's, there's kind of a, uh, I've kind of looked at it as an outline, a bracket of space where I think this is, I'm not saying Peter intended to summarize this part as live to bless. I'm saying as I've read it and prayed about it, this is the way that I've tried to present it back to you. So here he is at verse 8. To sum up, all of you, remember he has been talking about citizens and, and servants and spouses. He's been writing to people who are part of a household that gather for worship. And now he's, instead of just saying you and then you and then you and then you and then you, he's saying everybody. Everybody say everybody. So if you're, if you're a somebody, then this matters to you today. Okay, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. Now, if you're a sisterly, all that means is you're supposed to act like siblings. But it doesn't mean to act like siblings in perhaps some of the way you act when you're on family vacation. <laughs> Just in case you missed it, he says brotherly, kind-hearted and humble in spirit. Act like you like one another. <laughs> 
Verse 9 really is the key phrase. It's the key to the rest of what we're going to say today. So if we were going to have a little memory verse, it would be verse 9 of chapter 3 today. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Well, already I said, this is is it. You know what? This is why I tell people, you don't know this. This is why I have told guests uh, in advance when they come here to make sure that they have a focus. Because you'll come here and suddenly you'll find it easy to preach here and you'll just want to keep yammering. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to say something. What I'm saying is, this is a great house. There's a lot of faith in the room right now. Okay? So he says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Don't live reactionary, retaliatory volatile lives but instead bless live to bless because to this or for this very purpose you have been called to bless that you might receive a blessing so live to bless what does bless mean and why is it important the definition of bless uh, biblically means to invoke a blessing or to confer a blessing it literally, it, you stand in the place and you're either calling down a blessing or you are expressing it to someone else. It is to express favor or joy or goodness to someone else. A biblical blessing like this, in a, in this, this word has to do with, it leans toward a more verbal response. And it, sound, it might sound something like this. May the Lord give you grace and loving kindness. Now, not, not, very, many, very, not very many of you talk like that. Uh, so you're going to need to find a way to say something other than what you're used to saying, if you know what I mean in your, when you're driving. You could, look, here's something. You could say grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. Don't, make, if you're going to say it with a waved hand, listen to me. Don't get offended. Make sure all of your fingers are extended. Grace and peace to you. Some of you are offended. Some of you are convicted. It's fine. Just keep moving along. To bless others, it it includes not only just your words, but it's it's a posture. It's an action of your life. Uh, When you, jumping down, uh, we'll, we'll we'll read it in just a second, but jumping down, Peter quotes from Psalm 34, and to help us understand, to help his audience, he clarifies what he means by blessing. And let me, let me just give you a preview. We'll come back to it. He says, for the one, quoting Psalm 34, for the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. That's what blessing means, what Peter's trying to say. Blessing is, is, a, is a fundamental expression of the kingdom of God. It, 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 is the, it is the beginning of the Beatitudes. Jesus calls his disciples up onto the mount, and he's going to begin the Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing he does is not invite people to behave a certain way in order to be blessed. Don't read the Sermon on the Mount that way. It's not, a, it's not an imperative. It's an indicative. It, 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 he's actually declaring something that's true already. 
He is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. He is pronouncing a current reality because the kingdom of God has come on the scene. And because of that, you're blessed. You're blessed. Jesus stands up on a hill and he gathers the people like this and he says, you guys, blessed. You guys, blessed. You guys, blessed. You're blessed because the kingdom of God is here. It's a fundamental expression of the kingdom. Acts chapter 3, verse 26, we're told that the, the reason, there's, here's one summary of, of, that God raised up his servant, Jesus, and sent him to bless you. He says, Peter talking to the Israelite people, he sent him to bless you. Why was Jesus sent? To bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. And one of the fundamental, more challenging teachings of Jesus is to say, I say to you who hear, Luke, 20, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And then just in, in, in nearly every letter of the New Testament, uh, the apostolic greeting is, Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. It's not just words. This is blessing. This is what the kingdom of God is about. It's a fundamental expression. And Peter says, you have been called, you have been called to bless in order that you would also receive a blessing. In all of Peter's writings, and, and it's not just Peter, but Peter, is his he motivates us with hope. Again, we are to be a people who are possessed by and moved by hope. Because of that hope, instead of returning evil or reviling, we repay with blessing. <laughs> we choose to bless rather than to curse. That means you choose to bless rather than to gossip. That means you choose to bless rather than to vent. Isn't it wonderful how we have sanctified gossip and murmuring by calling it venting? You know, I just need to vent. And then we just, blah, we just spill out all kinds of vomitous garbage and poison and call it venting. Well, I just needed to vent. It sounds like you're just cursing. <laughs> I love this church where they shot me down, and I love it where you, and you don't say nothing. Well, I don't, agree, I don't agree with that at all. I think we ought to be able to vent. I think we ought to be able to say stuff and puke and poison state stuff. Because it tastes good like a tender morsel going down into my belly. I don't know why I get heartburn afterwards and I feel worse after. Oh, just because it's, it's poison. If you, if you choose to engage in cursing, you will damage your own soul. You will damage your own soul. You will infect yourself. Your body was not designed to take that in. And you will, even your physical body will begin to, it's in the scriptures. He says, because he did not delight in blessing, it was far from him. And as such, he said, and cursing settled into his joints. That's the scripture. Because he did not delight in blessing, it was far from him. And then cursing settled into his joints. You, nobody wants that. (laughs) 
The only way to really be free and victorious is to bless. I know, I know, I know we think, and I was going to say you, but I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, I know sometimes some people, I'll say it that way, sometimes some people think that in some way you're getting even with someone by murmuring and venting and cursing and you think you're going to feel better. You're not. You're not going to feel better. You're not going to do anyone any good. The only way you're going to be free and strong is to bless. And it'll take some courage because there's this, this cup that sits on the counter and it, and it fizzes and it's beautiful and it, it's, just, it's this cup of hate. And, and, and it says, drink me. You'll feel better. You will not. And friends, if, you're, if you are going to respond to evil and to persecution and to abusive criticism with blessing, how much more should you respond with blessing when you are just irritated or offended or inconvenienced? Oh, I know people, if I say, bless those who persecute you, we could say, amen, bless those. Who, because if we're in America, we don't even get persecuted. But bless God, if we get annoyed, watch out. <laughs> Do not inconvenience me. I'm American now. <laughs> Do not inconvenience me, offend me, irritate me, or let me down. Or I will let you have it. Friends, if it's true in the, you have to let the scripture teach us, if it's true in the harsher or harshest of circumstances, it is also true or perhaps more true in the easier or lesser. And if you don't practice blessing instead of cursing in the lesser, you might find yourself in a heap of trouble when it actually does get messy. You do this not only for the benefit of your own soul, but because it is your calling and because you, are, because you are doing this, but you are doing this in order to receive a blessing from heaven. Friends, don't trade the blessing from heaven for a moment morsel of venting. Don't do it. Don't trade. It's not worth it. You are to prize the promise of heaven's blessing so that you abstain from getting even. You abstain from gossip. You, you abstain from venting and murmuring and cursing. You so prize the blessing of heaven that you bless and you bless and you bless. You are believing, you are hoping, and you are expecting for his blessing in return. That makes for powerful people. Now, again, Peter comes back and makes sure his audience understands what he means by blessing, and he quotes Psalm 34. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer. Does it sound, it sounds to you and me perhaps like they're saying part of this blessing is, is increased or favorable answers to prayer. I'm just saying it's what it sounds like. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It sounds like God does not appreciate our cursing. I'm just saying it sounds like that. I'll leave it up to you to decide. 
Live to bless. Say it with me. Live to bless. The next section, I believe, Peter tells us to be ready, to be ready to bless. Ready to bless. Be ready to bless. This is, this is 13 through 17. You, you are to prepare yourself to position yourself to bless. In other words, bl- living a life that blesses others or exp- expresses blessing doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen incidentally. It happens intentionally. There's no such thing as a random act of kindness. I appreciate one bumper sticker. Well, I actually don't like most bumper stickers. I don't like bumper sticker theology. I don't like, most of them are just silly. But there's no such thing as a random act of kindness. That's a mistake. Mistakes aren't kind. Those are mistakes. What? Kindness is intentional. Otherwise, you made a mistake. (laughs) You're not going to bless anyone on accident. You're going to do it by living intentionally. So, so be ready. Everybody say, be ready. So verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous? Zealous for what is good. Again, there's nothing accidental about being zealous for what is good. Then Peter says, but if, but if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. I mean, he's like, you win either way. Be zealous for good because uh, there's, you know, you're, no one's going to be out to get you. No one in their right mind is out to get you for doing good. Be zealous for good. You are, if, you're that, if, you're, if you're zealous for good, you probably aren't headed for trouble. You, you just aren't. I realize that things go south and go wrong, but for the most part, I would say it with me, for the most part, for the most part, your best bet in life is to be zealous for good. You're, you're probably not going to get pulled over, get a ticket, get kicked out of the grocery store or whatever else if you're zealous for doing good. You probably won't lose your job, etc. if you're zealous for doing good. Now, Peter says, but if you do, but if you do suffer for righteousness sake, for righteousness sake, don't be like, well, finally now I get to vent. <laughs> now I get to now I get to get even. Nope. He said, if you suffer for righteousness sake, you'll still be blessed. You win either way. Who wouldn't want to be a part of this kingdom? Live to bless. Then in verse, uh, he picks it up here. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. He is, uh, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 12 there. Do not fear their, their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Uh, and then he says, he continues, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. But let me, let me come back to that. Do not be afraid of those who might mistreat you. Do not let your heart be intimidated or troubled by threat harassment, or mockery. Do not fear. And, I, and, and the passage in Isaiah communicates the idea that you, are, he's, that you are not to participate in what other people fear. Do not fear them nor share their fears. Your heart must not be a place where fear reigns. Don't let, don't, that's why he says don't be feared, don't fear and don't be troubled Because you can't bless from a troubled heart. And God cannot bless your fears. You'll have to have some degree of vulnerability in your life if you want to live to bless. You're going to have to risk being vulnerable a little bit. But don't worry, the Lord will bless you. So he says, don't fear their intimidation, don't be troubled, but instead sanctify or set apart, intentionally revere and respect, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. 
Don't fear in your heart, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Because if he is Lord there, fear cannot be. Nor can trouble bully your soul. Always, he says, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. This is that word apologia. This is where Dr. Zepp in November will offer this class just for November on Wednesday nights, apologetics. Apologetics doesn't, apologetics, apology doesn't mean I'm sorry. I know we say that. You owe me an apology. Well, I'm sorry. No, you're expressing regret. An apology means explanation. It doesn't mean you're sorry about anything necessarily. It's certainly not when it comes to your faith. I'm sorry. No, it means be ready to give a reason for it. Okay? And he says, always be ready to give a reason to everyone who asks you to give an account or to explain the hope that is in you. (laughs) Be ready to share your hope. Be ready to share your hope. Live ready to answer the, the, for the reason, that you, the hope that you have. Friends, your, your life should so resonate, should so express hope that it invites people to ask about it. <laughs> if no one is asking, you may not be projecting much hope. You might, so I would just come back to this, live to bless. To bless others really is to project hope, to declare hope, to advertise hope. Always be ready to explain that hope with gentleness and respect. Because remember, you're trying to bless them, not berate them or belittle them. Or beat them up. You're trying to bless them. You can, you, can, you can and should explain your faith with a smile. If you're explaining your faith with a furrowed brow and a raised voice and sweat coming out your ears, you might be doing it wrong. <laughs> be ready to share your hope. And keep a good conscience. Everybody say, keep a good conscience. Keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Set apart Christ as Lord, give an answer for the hope that you have, and keep a good conscience because a shamed or condemned conscience will hide, will duck, and will end up attacking others. But keeping a good conscience means that we conduct ourselves graciously even when we are the only ones watching. This is all staying in the posture to bless. This is being ready to bless. Verse 17, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. I guess Peter really wanted his audience to be able to understand that just because things were going wrong, they shouldn't say, oh, boy, I'm really suffering for the Lord. He's wanting to remember, no, if you have done something dumb, that's on you, dude. Okay? He, but he is saying, but if, but, but trying to, he's trying to give them hope and correction at the same time. 
He says, if you must suffer, if you must suffer, let it be for what is doing right. So the suffering, just parenthetically, we know this in this house, the suffering that he is really advocating for is, or, or, or allowing for, is when people mistreat you for doing what is right. Being mistreated or treated unjustly by others. That's the suffering that Peter's talking about. And the thing is, suffering for what is right is a testimony unto what is right. It shows that what is right is worth enduring opposition and persecution. When there's a blessing to it. There's a calling to it. And I realize it's not pleasant, but understand what's happening. When you, if, you, if you actually do suffer for what is right, what that does is you're, you are testifying that what is right is worth it. That's why, they, that's why martyrs are so powerful. Because when someone is martyred for what they believe, it, people, are, people are pressing on them and persecuting them, right, honestly, right up to the moment where suddenly now that person has given up their life, perhaps painfully, and there's always a backlash. Always. That's why people don't like martyrs, because they tend to lose whenever martyrs happen. You'll hear it often, well, we don't want to make a martyr. Why? Because you'll, be, you'll lose. Because if someone is willing to endure unjust treatment for the sake of what is right, you, you can oppress them and make them look badly and make them look wrong right up, into, right up into the moment where they give their last breath for what is right. And then all of a sudden, everyone says, hey, wait a minute. They were serious. They, they weren't pretending. See, in Christianity, we say, you can take my life, but I will not surrender my hope. This is, a fundament, this is a fundamental distinctive of Christianity. It, 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 it may not be a fundamental distinctive of some of the paperback bumper sticker Christianity that prevails in, in North America, but historically, suffering for our faith does not reduce our joy. Historically, if you make Christians suffer for their faith, they laugh louder. If you, if you make a Christian suffer for their faith and put them into prison at midnight, they'll start singing. <laughs> we turn the world upside down with not a sword in our hand. Opposition does not defeat us. Loss does not defeat us. In all of this, we rejoice and we bless. Put us in prison and we sing. Martyr us and we multiply. Forbid us to speak in his name and we will, we will proclaim his name from the rooftops. Because we are not participants in emotionalism. We are not followers of a fad. We are bond servants of Jesus Christ. We are the beloved of our heavenly father. And this world is not our home. To this you were called. To you, should, you need to be this strong. You need to be this resolved. You need to be this faithful. You are this saved. This is why it may be the will of God. Because enduring graciously opposition for what is right shows the value and the genuineness of what is right. As opposed to caving in, as opposed to denying what is right, or retaliating, or reviling, or cursing. 
it remains true that some people give up their Christianity for almost any inconvenience, but that is not what you were called to. Peter brings us back to our example. He always does this in every one of these sections. He will give an imperative and he will bring the reader back to Christ as our example. And that's where he picks it up at verse 18. Verses 18 through 22. Now, this is where you're going to have to take a little bit of a deep breath and let Peter be a Hebrew. How many know that Peter was a Jew? He was not a Greek. Greeks, we, and our, our mentality, we have inherited from the Greek culture. We think in a line. We start here and we go to here. But if you're a Hebrew, you just go like this. Okay? We think in, we, they, we have four course meals, they have casserole, right? Everything just in the soup, right? So just, you're going to have to just let Peter say, when he's, he'll say this and then say, by the way, this, oh, and then by the way, that, and then he'll wander off and say something, not explain it, because he doesn't have to, and then come back. So just take a deep breath and we'll do what we can. It's about to get weird. <laughs> anyway, here we go. He says, for Christ also died for, uh, for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that, he might, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. So what he's saying is Christ is our example. He suffered once for everyone. He suffered once for all of you. He suffered as the just for all of the unjust. He endured in order to bless. He endured unjust treatment in order to bring us back to God. Tell your neighbor, you've been brought back. Isn't that wonderful? And then, he, and he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit, and then God blessed him because he had chosen to bless. As a matter of fact, God supremely blessed Christ, which we will see in verse 22. But then, but before he mentions that, Peter throws, he alludes to a couple of things as in verses 19 and 20, which parenthetically are some of the most difficult verses to interpret in the Bible. <laughs> Here we go. In which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept, uh, kept waiting in the days of Noah. How many think, you know what, we were doing fine, Peter, until you just went sideways on us and went Dungeons and Dragons or something here. Here's what he's saying. This is an interesting passage to interpret. What was Peter talking about? Uh, here's a good reason to practice a little bit of hermeneutic. We will practice this in January. It, we remember that we keep the whole Bible closed when we are interpreting parts of Scripture. We believe the Holy Spirit has woven all of this together and, and the pages ultimately will agree to, with each other. So in the case where one sentence is difficult for us to understand, we benefit from reading that sentence in the light of all of Scripture rather than try to make all of Scripture fit back into one hard-to-understand sentence. Amen. Okay? So here's some ways that this passage, that, that he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah... A couple of ways that people have suggested that we understand this. Uh, number one is that Jesus actually went and preached to the dead in Hades during the period of time between his burial and when he ascended into heaven. At some point, he, he went down there and preached the gospel to, 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 the, to the people in hell. Interesting. Uh, others say that it was actually the Spirit of Christ preaching through Noah. Now, if that sounds odd, remember that in chapter 1, Peter's already told us that throughout the Old Testament, the, the prophets and writers of the Old Testament, that he said the Spirit of Christ was in them. 
speaking, and they, and, they, and, they, and they were trying to figure out who this was and when this would happen, but, all the, but the, it has been the Spirit of Christ has been the one uh, speaking throughout all the Scriptures. So, they, so there are some that say, well, that's the, that was the Spirit of Christ preaching through Noah because and elsewhere, Peter actually calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. A, th- a third view is to say that what happened, what, what Peter means is that Jesus proclaimed triumph over all the fallen angels upon his triumphant death and resurrection. Now that one, that final view bears considerable merit because it resonates with the rest of Scripture, because God has given him the name above every name, right? And, and, uh, and the, the other thing is this, that the fact that Peter says he went and proclaimed these things to spirits, this language, spirits, in the, in, the, in the Scripture, that rarely refers to people, but most often to spiritual beings. Now, what's most important is that we stay tuned and let Peter finish his thought. Picking up at verse 20. He says, In the days of Noah, during the, the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons. See, now he's taking another left turn, literally. Another, now, now he's saying, oh, by the way, speaking of Noah, and then now he's going to go down this road for a while. Uh, during the days of the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. What, Peter? What are you talking about? Whoa, what are we? Shoo! But here he goes, now he's with you. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. He is practicing, and I'm teasing him just a little bit, but he's practicing a very normal Hebrew pattern, which is to, all that in, in their teaching, all they would do is quickly reference a, a, a phrase of, a, of an idea or a story, and that was like, that, just, that was a footnote to help the reader understand they were, they were to remember the entirety of what they're talking about. Again, we don't speak like that or teach like that. They did. So he is deliberately just, he's, his whole meta message right now is still Christ endured, Christ blessed, and he was blessed. But he is just giving some explanation or some texture about the particulars of what Christ has done. He is saying to us, uh, he mentions the baptism, uh, of, of baptism, water baptism, and, and how it relates to the flood. He said that there were members of Noah's family that were saved out of the waters of judgment. The members of Noah's fam- family were saved out of that, and Peter says that is like the water of baptism now. You are being rescued out of judgment. Not because that water does anything to wash away dirt, but because in that act, you have appealed to God and you have placed your trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Peter says, he actually says, baptism saves you. You should not read that and say, oh my goodness, that, that, that somehow the waters of, of, in, our, in our horse trough are salvific. They are not, because he actually says you, it saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, in Scripture, oftentimes the symbol of a thing and the reality of the thing are so closely linked that they are worded interchangeably. They, it, we, we, this is not an invitation for us to take the waters of baptism to a, to a, to a, to a hyper, hyperbolous type of a thing where we make those waters magic. But nor, nor does it give us permission to dismiss the importance of water baptism. If you have not been baptized in water, you have, then you, you have not made the biblical confession of faith in Christ. 
So right now, you need to get your bulletin, your communication card, your something, and say, you know what? I need to be baptized in water. I need to make an appeal of a good conscience to God. I need to testify in front of the world that I have been saved out of, the, out of judgment and that my life has been plucked from certain damnation and that I have, been, I have trusted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and I am believing that I too will be raised from the dead. So if you've not been baptized in water, you ought to. Amen. We've got, we've got the means to do it, and we will schedule one before the end of the year. How about that? Finally, verse 22. Jesus Christ, he says, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. In verse 22, this is the end of this parenthetical statement about Christ's victorious suffering for our sakes. This, verse 22, is the point. Christ suffered, Christ endured, his suffering was effective, and it was powerful. He obeyed, he didn't retaliate, he chose to bless, and God blessed him supremely. He ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God with all authority and power subjected to him. He suffered at the hands of men, but he has ascended to the right hand of God. He passed through the darkness of death and hell, but he was only passing through and he's gone on to heaven. And all angels, all authority, all power are subjected to him. He is the name above all names. Therefore, you too should live to bless. You can trust God. Tell your neighbor, you can trust God. It may look bad, it may feel bad, but you oh, trust him. He's got something, it'll get better. You can trust God. Live to bless that you might inherit a blessing. Christ is our example. Therefore, live to bless. But firstly, the first commandment is live to bless God. You're going to live to bless. First of all, live to bless God. Everybody say, live to bless God. Meaning we're, we live to do his will. I'm saved, live like it. So live first and foremost to bless God. That's chapter, chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We've got to explain that because we're not inviting anybody to go out and become the desert fathers and lay on your side for seven years and hope to be sanctified. That won't help anybody. Okay? Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We live for the will of God. Peter says, arm yourself with the same attitude so that you are so committed to living according to the will of God, which blesses God, that you would even endure persecution in order to do God's will. Then he says, the one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Number one, this is not a prescription, it is a description. He is not saying you should go out and look for, you should really suffer in the flesh in order, no, he is describing something that is true, not telling us what to do. Okay, you got that? He's just stating a truth. 
The one who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that if you are willing to endure suffering in your desire to live for the will of God, then you have burned the bridge to going backward and living for the lusts of the flesh. When believers endure suffering for the sake of doing the will of God, they demonstrate that they have resolved to live for Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. They've literally burned the bridges. Consider that people who have endured suffering in order to be free will not succumb again to slavery. When people endure hardship because of, because of a value or because of a desire, you, they, will not go, they will not slide quickly back. They just won't. Peter is saying if, you have endu- if your commitment to righteousness has caused you even physical distress, it's not very likely you're going to go back and do the very thing that you just went through hell over. He's just stating what's true. It's easier to flirt with sin when you've never felt its chains. It's easier to indulge in wrong if you've never had to suffer for what is right. That's why even James will say later, and we'll hear from him over the summertime, that's why James says, listen, friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Verse 3, for the time already is past the time is already passed the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the gentiles remember the gentiles ethnos the nations unbelievers that time is past having they, that, that 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 desire having you having i mean you used to it's all past tense having pursued a course of sensuality lusts drunkenness carousing drinking parties and and abominable idolatries. It's almost like Peter is looking into the current frat house of America. Uh, Why I even say that, I say that in justice for you to recognize that people might dress differently, talk differently, use different language, but our behavior has not changed much in 2,000 years. And what Peter just said, in case that's hard for you to understand, what he says is you are done wasting your life. It is way past time for you to stop living like the world has, has lived and does live. He said, you're done wasting your life. You're not going to live like that anymore. Verse 4, he says, in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. The people of that day were seen as troublemakers and enemies of society for not taking part in the way of life around them. When they didn't do as their neighbors did, they, their neighbors said, well, there must be something wrong with you for not wanting to do what is wrong. I have to just quickly ask this question because it's, I guess it's my job. How often are people surprised at what believers today will not do? I wonder if the church has been so conditioned to being relevant that we're no longer different. But 
But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. <laughs> you be ready to bless because he's ready to judge. Well, grace, grace, God, grace. Yeah, he is ready to judge the living and the dead. For he is ready. For the gospel has for, here we go, verse 6. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached to even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Let's, let's go to verse 6 first. There's a couple of views on this when it says, for, the gospel, for this purpose, the gospel has been preached even to those who are dead. Most say that what Peter means here is that, that, by, that he means the gospel was preached to those who were alive and they heard the gospel, but now they're dead. And that though they have experienced the judgment of death in the flesh, they are alive now by the Spirit according to the will of God. Now, why that would be important is because we're talking about a people who are, who are looking for the return of Christ, and there, there was beginning to be some question like, hey, wait a minute, people, some people have died, and the idea here is that Peter said, if they've died, they've only, they have died only in terms of the flesh, but their life in the spirit, they are not dead in the spirit, they are alive to God, and we're still looking forward to Christ's return. That's option A. Others say that, that Peter is actually speaking about those who died with hope in God like the Old Testament saints. And that somehow, as they died with hope in God, that somehow they now have heard the gospel so that they could embrace Christ as well. And although they died in their flesh, now they are alive by the Spirit. Now this view, if you adopted it, would help clarify that even the Old Testament saints are saved through faith in Christ and not by the works of the law or the sacrificial system. We can't be sure what Peter actually meant, but what we do know is that there is hope, no matter if people are dead now or dead a long time, if someone has heard the gospel, there's hope in Jesus Christ. And what we, we don't know everything what he, that what he meant, but here's the deal. What we do know is more important than what we don't know. And what we do know is verse 5, where Peter says, Ultimately, everyone who has ever lived will have to stand before the Lord for judgment, whether, they, whether or not they have confessed and obeyed Jesus Christ as Lord. They're going to have to answer to him. Everyone will have to give an account of their lives to Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Are you living to bless God? Are you living for His will? We live to bless God. We live to bless Him and do His will. And we live to bless one another. Everybody say one another. Verse 7, he picks it up here. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. It's fine to wear the sandwich board that says the end of all things is near, but just make sure you understand that the Bible doesn't say the end of all things is near, therefore panic. Therefore, pardon me, but buy that, that feller's emergency food on the, on the interwebs there. Uh, don't, 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 uh, don't dig a shelter in your backyard. Uh, don't, don't buy into any other kind of fear-based measure, but instead understand this. Literally everything has been fulfilled, and Jesus Christ could return at any time. Therefore, be level-headed, be focused, so that you will pray. Benjamin, clickety-click, clickety-clack. 
There we go. Flick. There we go. Look at that. See, son, you gotta, I know you're getting excited, but you got to stay with me. You shot me down. The, level, the end of all things is near. Therefore, focus so that you will pray. Okay, listen. Hey, friends, if you aren't praying, then you may not really believe he's coming. If you're not praying, then you probably aren't preparing for him to come. If you're not praying, you, I have to, we have to begin to wonder if you care if he's coming. If you're not praying, you certainly aren't viewing your life or this world with a kingdom lens, nor are you living to bless others. Wake up, Peter says, pay attention and pray. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Be fervent in your love for one another. Oh, let's say it out loud. Be fervent in your love for one another. That means, uh, that, that, that means love big, love deep, and love so that it stretches you and strains you. To love fervently means to, to love stretched outedly. Love when it's not comfortable. Fervently means to love stretched out. By the way, once again, this is not an invitation for you to feel entitled to love. It is an imperative for you to love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Ooh. You see, if you love stretched outedly to where it was not comfortable, I, I... the cross right there. If you loved in such a way that it was on, who do we know that loved in such a way that it was not comfortable? And whose love expressed that way has indeed covered a multitude of sins. Now, he's not saying that when you love one another, somehow your love for one another is, is, uh, is salvific, that somehow your love atones for other sins. But it does mean that when you love stretched outedly, it means that you tend to overlook You tend to not be collecting offenses, that you're quick to forgive and you overlook most stuff. Love covers. It does not expose. It does not aggravate. It does not agitate. It covers. And he says, be hospitable without complaint. Now, that really was a big deal in that contemporary life. There weren't as many kind of inns and whatever else, and people traveled or whatever, they looked for Christian homes to, for, to, for them to open their home and to find safe lodging. But for you and I, that just means we should be hospitable without hesitation. We, we should be hospitable without being selfish or defensive or expecting anything in return. Just live to bless one another. Verse 10, as, long, as each one has received a special gift or a gift, a, char- a, a charisma, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Everybody say this with me. Put grace to work. Put grace to work. We, we referenced this when we talked about gathering and growing and going, that you all have grace in your life, that God has deposited grace in your life, and it, the Peter says, employ it. Don't leave your grace in the unemployment line. As a steward, you have, been, you have received grace to give that grace away. And what the Lord has blessed you with, put that thing to work. The manifold grace of God means that His grace, listen, you're going to like this, some of you that love that word. The manifold grace of God means that God's grace is so complete that it has so many aspects, it has so many applications that there is no situation in life 
that God's grace cannot meet and surpass. <laughs> and that is what you have been given to steward. Wonderful Jesus. That grace is in you to give it away. Freely, freely you have received, freely give. Therefore, friends, live to bless. Finally, Peter says in verses 11 and 12, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen to how Peter understands these grace gifts. Not as personality traits, Not as natural endowments or talents. The grace that God has put in your life to bless others, this is a su- these are supernatural ways of blessing one another. If you speak, speak with this confidence and this anticipation and this reverence. Speak like you're speaking the very words of God. You know what happens when God talks? Life happens. Speak like that. Speak like you're speaking, no, not in Elizabethan English. Speak like God. Does, now, Peter's not inviting you to write new Bible. He's actually, he's asked, he literally means, let your, like, he actually does mean your words should sound like the Bible. But they, your words should speak life. Your words should bless That's what his words do. And he says, for those who serve, serve with his strength. Wow. Don't don't take inventory of your own abilities or strength. Serve anticipating the very strength supplied to you by God himself. If you're going to bless someone, God's going to show up and on the job with you. He's going to roll up his sleeves. He's going to bring his tool belt. He's going to bring his energy drinks or whatever. God's going to come with you. He is ready to help you. He's got strength to help you serve others. There is no reason, there is no deficiency in your life that would preclude you from living to bless. And all of it so that God will be glorified in Jesus Christ. Friends, you are saved. Live like it. Live to bless. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Let me ask you just to bow your heads across the room. As we close in prayer, Peter has said to us that the Lord Jesus is ready to to, to judge the living and the dead. Every one of us is going to have the opportunity to stand before the Lord and answer whether or not we have surrendered to Jesus Christ as our Lord, whether we have confessed him and surrendered to him as Lord of our life. So I just want to give you opportunity right now. It's going to happen someday. You might as well be ready for it now. You don't have any guarantees Life has no no guarantees. I don't want you, you don't you shouldn't miss out on one moment of living for Jesus. There isn't anything in this life worth trading, serving Jesus. 
So don't wait another moment. I'm going to just ask you right now, if you're here this morning and you don't know, you're not, you don't know whether or not you could stand before him and say, yes, I've, I have surrendered to you, Jesus, as my Savior. You are my, I trust in you, and my trust in you has, means that I have turned my life and I live for the will of God. That's what it means. I have, I surrender, I, I place my confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has saved me from my sin. I trust in his life and resurrection, and I live for him. I surrender to him as my Lord. If you have not, if you, if you can't say that, if you don't know for sure whether you have surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you can do it this morning. It's, it takes a decision. God will give you the grace and the strength to do it, but you need, he can't decide for you. If you'll decide, he'll give you strength. He'll give you grace. He'll walk with you. You just decide. Is there anybody here this morning who just would say, today I, I want to decide? And I don't mean that you know you had a bad week or something like that. I literally mean you don't you do not know that you have if you have made Christ Lord of your life, but today you want to make that decision to surrender to Jesus Christ. Would you lift your hand right now? Just lift it up right where you stand so I can pray for you as we close today. This is a great day for you if you'd like to raise your hand right now. We believe in a public confession of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us publicly and openly so that we might that we might openly acknowledge him as Lord. I'll wait just another moment. Anybody in the room today that would just say, I want to confess Christ as Lord of my life. All right, friends, I'm going to ask all of you to open your hands with me if you'd like to. Just like this, I want to just pray a blessing over you now. May the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. May the Holy Spirit come upon you with such grace and power today that you leave this place becoming an ever-increasing expression of Christ in your world. If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen.